Hello, and welcome to The 905er. I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. When we created this podcast, uh, Roland and I recognized that the 905 region is becoming more than just a suburb of Toronto. Uh, In recent history, the region has become far more diversified and more prosperous. Every election cycle, it appears that our little part of the country is crucial to the provincial and federal election outcomes. And the issues that we are facing are starting to drive the national dialogue. As people of Toronto and other parts of the world have decided to make this part of Canada their home, they've changed the face of it into what is yet to be determined. However, two people have at least attempted to quantify that change. Audra Williams and her partner, Haritha Nanaratna, have created a website named 90minutesfrom.com, a website that quantifies and categorizes the communities predominantly in the 905 on unique factors. Factors such as Black Lives Matter support, LBGTQ and Pride organizations, Indigenous issues awareness, voting patterns, and a host of other categories not usually covered by your standard real estate search. This week, we invited them on the podcast to chat with us about their project, how it started, where they hope to see it blossom into, as well as the changing landscape of the 905 region, as development, gentrification, and demographics all seem to be coming together at the same time to transform the region into one of the most influential and important parts of the country. As well, stay tuned for after the interview as Roland and I will take a deeper look into this. Uh, but in the meantime, have a listen. Today, we are joined by Audra Williams and Haritha Nanaratnaf, uh, who are the authors of the website 90 minutes from TO. Is that correct? 90 minutes from.com slash Toronto or 90 minutes from Toronto.com. Okay. But th- there you go. Um, and it is a very innovative uh, website that, uh, you know what? I'm going to leave it to you guys to describe it for our, our listeners. Sure. Well, it is uh, definitely like a pandemic project. It's been really great having this time to hunker down and and pull it together. Um, Basically, the inspiration is that like, you know, a lot of the things like a lot of our friends feel like their time in Toronto is just not really sustainable. Like, um, like Bill 184 is going to make evictions a lot easier. And right now, like the the city's definition of affordable housing is at or below market value. And so if market value, you know, and like if if wages are not indexed to inflation, then market value is kind of a meaningless uh, barometer of what's affordable. Um, and so, you know, some of my friends kind of like have places that, you know, they've kind of like we all pass these leases around to make sure nothing goes on the market so it stays affordable, but like legit affordable, you know, but if people who um, are getting pushed out, you know, evictions are going to start again soon. Um, and they, they really feel like there's just nowhere, like they, there's, they can't afford to stay in the city, you know, and a lot of their jobs are also disappearing. Like a lot of service industry jobs or retail jobs, like those places are some, a lot of places are closing forever. And then folks like um, us who do work largely remotely, um, are kind of looking around and saying like, okay, well, if the reason that we're here is like the friends that we love and the places that we go and our friends are leaving and those places are closed, like, you know, it's worth examining why stay. So yeah, you touched on a lot of, a lot of points there in terms of like the changing demographics and just changing um, attitudes towards um, livability in the, in the, uh, in the region. And I got my. I'm going to start off by asking, like, we we live in the 905. Roland and I live uh, in Burlington. You're in Toronto. And over the last, 
I'd say probably about 10 years, we've seen a, a kind of a steady exodus of Torontonians uh, leaving Toronto to come out to the 905. And I, I was, as a Torontonian, like, what is the perception of the 905 that appeals to you? Why, why is this such a destination? Is it just strictly uh, financial purposes or is there something else to it? Yeah, I realized I didn't actually explain what the website is. I just talked about our own situation. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, so the website is um, basically like our cataloging of as much information as possible of like towns and cities that we could conceivably move to and still be within like either a reasonable driving distance of Toronto because we know that we do have some friends who will stay, you know, and and. I presently am a writer three days or four days a week at the Center for Social Innovation, and Haritha is building a non-alcoholic cocktail company, and we are know we're going to have customers here. Like, you know, you know, like being in Nova Scotia, like part of the impulse is like, let's just like buy a big house by the ocean and forget all of it. But you know, it, that's challenging. Right. And so we we collected as much data as possible, and we've made that data public basically. And so we've tracked like everything from like BIPOC population, like average house prices, median age, rainfall, um, you know, culture, arts, and then like the most important things like is there black lives matter support like have there been a disproportionate amount of hate crimes what does pride celebration look like are there queer positive churches um, and so people can come to the site and they can kind of like on this interactive map like move the sliders and click the radio buttons and put in their ideal situation and then like the cities and towns that are still like on the map will meet those criteria there's also a sortable spreadsheet that's sortable and searchable with the same data and then there are some house listings because it's sort of fun to see what's out there. And then I've tried to write like a sort of little profile pulling that data, but just having it in a more accessible way for people who take in information that way about like presently 55, but I know I'm going to increase um, cities and towns that are in the area. So people can kind of quickly go to a page and be like, OK, like there is transit from Toronto. BIPOC population is like over 20 percent. House price is this. And then, oh, there's two comic stores or like, oh, there's this like neat theater thing that's happening. And, um, you know, the mayor was positive about Black Lives Matter or et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, so it's trying to just like be a clearinghouse of information for other folks who feel like they either want to leave or have to leave so that people are making that decision like right. based on being like, yeah, having that data and being informed versus like, oh, I went here for a weekend. It seemed nice. When Torontonians leave the, uh, tr the city of Toronto to move out to the 905, is it they're, moved, they're looking for something or is it more of a necessity? Um, I think it's... I, yeah, I, I think it's either like I someone I work with moved to Burlington in December and she just like wanted to have like outdoor space and, um, you know, and I, I think that, um, yeah, I think some people make the choice because they want to. And I think, you know, others maybe feel like it's just not sustainable here. But, you know, like, again, like I guess with the site, hopefully people are like very intentionally like choosing a place they would like to go versus like, oh, I'm I'm just going to be miserable and shoved out of where I wish I could be, you know? I guess it could end up being kind of a fuzzy line depending on the person because you might decide that uh, like having a nice big yard or a detached garage or what have you is like integral to your your housing experience. <laughs> and right, right, right. looking for that in Toronto is going to be like, you know, next to impossible at a reasonable price. So I guess depending on how you look at it, it could be considered, you know, um, looking for something specific in Burlington or a place like Burlington or the 905. <laughs> like being forced to leave the city entirely because you can't find it. So you guys at the moment, obviously, judging from, from the website, probably that you're looking for like a single family home, something like that. You're not looking for a condo. No, yeah, and we're not looking yet, or... like to be clear, like this is sort of like us starting our fact-finding mission. And like, um, you know, we do love our apartment in Toronto. Um, 
and we would love to you know we definitely have joked about dying of old age here but we also know that like it's not entirely in our control like just today like someone came to the door and was like we're looking at houses to buy in your neighborhood you know and our landlord's a great person and I don't feel like he just shove us out but it could be that like maybe he gets like a really good offer maybe his family has to move like we just don't have complete control over where we live right. and so um yeah so we have been you know trying to think of like where is where is a place that we could feel like we had a home that felt like it was stable um and also like m met our needs where you're not where you're not losing too many of the things that you like about toronto and you're maybe gaining some affordability and yeah things like that yeah, um, definitely I, I thought i was looking on your website before the uh the interview here and you wrote one thing that you wrote stuck out to me is that you wrote on the website we don't own where we live and we can't afford to own anything else in this city either uh, referencing toronto and mm -hmm. that, that seems to be kind of a mantra of a lot of young Torontonians, like young 20-somethings trying to make it on their own. Um, I'm just wondering, is being able to own the place that you live something like, is it akin to owning a piece of the community that you live in? And if, if that is the case, does it change the dynamic of how you live in your community? Um, I mean, I don't think so. Like, we live on a street called Cowan in uh, Parkdale. Um, there's a Facebook group literally for our street alone. Um, there's, like, a street sale that happens every year. Um, and it def it's a definitely a mix of, like, people who own and people who rent. But there doesn't seem to be any, like separation like in the Facebook group or like in the community like I don't feel less invested because I rent I think I just feel a little bit more precarious well I, I guess that's the case is how many Torontonians are feeling on this precarious you know like you said you, you're pretty confident in your that your landlord won't sell uh, the property that you live in uh, but I know that there must be a number of other Torontonians who don't feel as as secure as you folks do and I'm wondering is that you know how how tied do you feel to a to a community that if you might be evicted in a month's time because a better a, a deal comes along um yeah for sure i think it's a concern like i don't know that it makes you like i guess it depends like there's lots of definitions of community right so i feel like you know my friends aren't less invested in the toronto queer community because they might get evicted but they might be less invested in like their street or whatever um you know and i think like the first six years i lived in toronto i did have to move five times because like right. someone's kid came back from university someone else got divorced there's a hot water pipe burst and um it did make it kind of hard to feel like i was i could like really trust and where where i was geographically but um but during those six years like i still have like you know a good chosen family and um um, you know, have been like active in different like political things or right, right, right. artistic things or whatever. So I don't feel like we're all just like biding our time, but I feel like it's just like being able to kind of exhale. Like, I think that it's like, you know, so many of my friends, I'll be talking to them. They're like, Oh, my landlord's here. Like, what if he's selling, you know, maybe right. he's just like mowing the lawn, but like, there's that, like that feeling of it kind of always looming over us, you know, and the house behind us is for sale for $2.7 million. And so like, House prices can drop dramatically, and right. that, maybe that's going to. But it's not. It's still like outside of our reality. Well, on, on something you mentioned there about um, your your the network that you're in, uh, wondering if the landlord's coming in. I um, what I, I was I was considering that there used to be an assumption uh, that you'd live in Toronto, say, for for your twenties, you'd work, live uh, in Toronto, but. By the time you had you hit your thirties, you'd think about marrying, settling down, 
starting a family and the idea is that you move out to the suburbs for the white picket fence and i don't know a single person like that uh, well that's just what i was going to ask do you think that's an outdated notion is it is it is it a fantasy that people are trying to sell us that isn't true to the reality of of life in the 21st century yeah i'm not sure who's trying to sell that like i just don't know anybody who like uh, like wants like I, everyone I know like wishes they could like wants to raise their kids in the city they want to raise their kids somewhere diverse or they're like have no interest in getting married um you know like I said like I'm 44 like I'm I don't feel like I've out like I'm outgrowing the city like I I spent my 20s in a town of 500 people you know like I very intentionally came back here so I'm sure that there are people the people who have like gender reveal parties or whatever it's like a different species but like I don't I don't know yes. anybody <laughs> who's like who has that like conveyor belt narrative in their mind. I think it's just, yeah. And I don't, I don't know who's trying to sell it. Like I'm just maybe outside that world, but. I was going to ask, I mean, obviously um, I'm going to make what I think is a pretty confident guess that, that, that not having to rely on a, a, on a car is going to be important to you. And that's probably traditionally been a, a weakness of the 905 as that kind of yeah, car dependency. We have a car. Um, Haritha it's, um, was working. You can tell it. Oh yeah. Like I was, I worked in Toronto's hospitality scene for about a decade and, you know, my, it's, it's kind of tied into, you know, what I love so much about the project is that I was commuting, you know, at odd hours and, you know, commutes one way would be anywhere between one to two hours. He was, com he was commuting from like West End yeah. to like North York on like the four o'clock in the morning. So bus. in a sane world, that would be like you know, <laughs> half an hour yeah. at the most. So he had Toronto. finally like gotten his yeah. license and gotten a car. And then the week later, the bar he worked in closed. Yeah. Um, but we are in a unique position where like we do have a car, which is also helping us like make these road trips to these different places and try to get a sense of them. And yeah. one of the things that Haritha has said on those trips is that like, you know, like he didn't know a lot of these places existed, right? Yeah, if I had known, I would have like I would have probably planned to move out of the city, you know, much earlier. But like the data, it's it's not out there, and they aren't heavily marketed. I I feel like to young people in Toronto. So like, yeah, working as That's a young person in Toronto, yeah. like in your like twenties or thirties, even I'd say. Like you're very just locked into like I'm just going to grind here until I magically accumulate enough money to put a down payment on a house here and and then we'll see. Yeah, and Rita said that like if he if he'd known like you know he's like I could have just like maybe bought a cheaper house like outside of the city but still commuted back into the Toronto to work like he didn't have a desire like he liked like the hospitality industry he was working in but he was like commuting two hours each way you know just to rent and. Mm -hmm. So, but, but anyway, we are we are unusual in that we do have a car. But like you say, that is Absolutely. unusual these days, and that that most people in Toronto live without them, and that, which is I think is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, looking forward to the day when we can maybe get a bit closer to that. Um, now, obviously, on, on you know, very important to you is the the issue of of race, and you, you've you know specifically included things like Black Lives Matter marches and uh, things like that. Is that kind of a concern that you have that you know coming to the nine hundred five, you're you're almost you're more likely to encounter um, issues of race or, or, or not non acceptance? Uh, is, is that I mean, a I don't have that have? perception. Um... I think that some people do like like Ajax is 905 and it has the highest black community and the biggest black community anywhere outside of I think maybe like North Preston in Nova Scotia. Um, I think people know that that it's diverse. I think that it's just a matter of like, you know, if you're choosing even if you're like choosing between five or six places or even just kind of like having it spelled out for you. Like I think that um, 
um, you know, I think if people have been to like, like Burlington or Brampton or Markham, like they've probably seen that it's diverse, but I think that, um, they might not know like, like, like how it is politically or, um, yeah, or, or like, you know, what, what, what it's like to be queer there. But I definitely like, I don't, again, like, I guess maybe because I've moved around so much, like, I don't get a sense that people feel like outside of Toronto, everyone's racist. I think it's just a question of like, you want to like, give people as much information as possible, you know, and like, you know, I had this talk with a friend of mine who is queer, and she was saying that, like, you know, she would have a hard time leaving the queer community in Toronto. But at the same time, we cannot ignore the fact that the Toronto police let a serial killer kill gay men for 15 years in Toronto. So there's no, like, I don't think any of us have an illusion that, like, Toronto is, like, has less, like, systemic injustice or whatever. There's just, like, at some point you get a critical mass of people and at least you can have a community. So I think it's more like, you know, is there already, like, an anti-racist, like, community activist group that I could be part of if I go there? You know, but then there are places where, like, I think it was... Oh, I shouldn't say because I don't want to get it wrong. But one of the towns, like the police apologized for tearing down Black Lives Matter signs, you know, and that was like in one of the like more, I think it was like a in Peel. And so, you know, I think that having that stuff on your radar is also good. Um, but uh, yeah, I definitely don't want to be part of like this narrative that like Toronto is this like open minded, like utopia and everywhere else is like this horrible, you know, closed minded backwater. I just feel like if people can get all this information at once, like hopefully they will also see that reality that it that that's not well, the case. It does, it does it go to the sense that maybe you're trying to tear down walls of perception uh, with this because I, I, I know we spoke a bit off air uh, in, in generalities, but I can I've lived in Burlington for the majority of my life and I can remember I've, I've witnessed firsthand kind of the demographic changes that have happened here in the 905 as, uh, as more people, uh, move here from other parts of the world, but as well as people leaving Toronto kind of on this mass exodus, pretty much in the last 10 years, I would say, uh, that have come out, out this way. And I'm wondering, this is a trend that I, I don't see stopping anytime soon. W would you agree that that's that's been the case that, that over time we've just we've been seeing just a steady more cosmopolitan cosmopolitanization, if that's even a word, of the nine hundred five? I think probably. Um, you know, I went to an arts event um, as part of Sikh Heritage Month in Brampton a few years ago to see a poetry reading by Rupi Kaur, and and like, there's like an amazing art scene there. Like, there's like there's this whole kind of like, especially like this Punjabi community that's like generating a ton of like amazing like hip hop and paintings and theater. And, you know, and I definitely, um, I don't think I was aware of maybe just, I think in that case, like how city supported it was like, there's this big like Rose theater. And then like, if you go to their website, they have like actually like, you know, their six point plan to encourage like culture making and stuff in Brampton. And so I think that things like that can be really helpful, like um, to be able to kind of make that, that public. And I think if you are like, you know, a young playwright and you realize that like, you don't have to give up the arts to leave the city. Yeah. I, was, I just want to follow <laughs> up on, on that because as what we've kind of been talking about Roland and I over the last few months is that just how the, the 905 is in the process of change. Um, and I think, is there an opportunity here perhaps that as 90, the 905 region starts to grow and we start to build, develop and, and kind of change the the nature of it, that maybe we learned some of the mistakes that Toronto has made uh, in terms I mean, of how, like how to foster culture, foster entrepreneurship, and that kind of thing, and and have people of various backgrounds just be able to move out to this part to uh, to set up home. Yeah, I mean, like 
a government learning from a government, another government's mistakes is a beautiful dream. And so I think that like that could, it could be the case. And if we do see, like, I think maybe people will are more likely to learn from someone else's successes. So like if, you know, if like if Brampton really nails this plan or if there's like another city that like has an incredible library program, like you can kind of get like the evangelists um, to be like, I saw this amazing thing. Like this seems to be working. Like let's reproduce that here. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, that would be incredible. One thing that like is interesting in all of this research is that like, um, and because the, the most diverse places are the closest to Toronto, which makes sense, of course, geographically. Um, the most diverse places are also the most expensive places. And so a lot of, you know, ourselves and, and other friends, like we're really having to try to balance like, you know, affordability and community. And that's like, it's just interesting because I know that people like, you know, if you look at like, I, we, we've spent a lot of time in Detroit and there are a lot of like white New York artists moving to Detroit and that's like a whole conversation, but they're like kind of like middle-class white folks like moving into like, you know, a majority like black community, um, which has a certain impact. But but here it's like the places that are the most affordable are actually also the whitest, which is just because of geography, not because of anything else. And so, um, yeah, like I think that it's that's part of like how hopefully this site can be useful, because like that way, at least if you, you can set your limits, like, OK, it's got to be like at least 20 percent BIPOC and like and then you can start from there. And that way you're not kind of like all over the place. And so, um, yeah, I think that. Uh, a lot of like I think the reality like I hope it isn't but that like some of our friends I don't even know if they could afford to live in the, in like the 905 you know like it's like some of us think we're going to have to go further afield like Haritha and I are looking largely in Niagara because um Niagara's pretty diverse like the NDP does okay there you know there's there's a waterfront which I like and there are lots of mid-century modern bungalows that have had the same owner for 60 years um you know but also it's just like we couldn't afford to buy a house in Markham either. We couldn't afford to buy a house in, in Brampton. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting choice people are having to make between affordability and community. Yeah. And the, the whole affordability, I mean, yeah, I was going to say, I hate to break it to you, but you've probably learned this already, but um, the certainly, I mean, Burlington, Oakville, uh, these are not totally, very affordable yeah. places. Uh, and Hamilton's not as affordable mm -hmm. as it once was. Um so it's, it's a it's a struggle and it's a it's an issue it's an issue that we, we are dealing with a lot because it's uh there's a need for more housing but the housing that tends to get built um is is you know they, they call affordable seven hundred thousand yeah. dollars like yeah, what kind of affordable is that so uh it, it's almost like the challenges of toronto are coming out uh coming out of the city and and uh, affecting yeah. the rest i of guess us. my hope would be that people but, could use, like like when I, I posted like on my own personal Facebook page, like the profile I did about Brampton and like ton of people were just like, oh my God, like I just thought Brampton was a bedroom community of Toronto. And I'm just like, well, like people certainly treat it that way, I'm sure. But like, you could definitely be like, you know, a, a playwright and a hip hop artist and just stay in Brampton. Like it, you don't well, like, and I guess, yeah, I want people to, I want people to live where they live, you know? Well, that's the kind of point of this, of this yeah. podcast oh, is yeah. that we, yeah. I mean, we, we're, the 905 is home to, what do we say? 4 million people. That's a sizable uh, population in the entire country. Um, and this is like the 905 is pretty much the golden horseshoe of the country to kind of just write it off as just a suburb of Toronto. I think it does it a bit bit of a disservice uh because as we're, we're talking about today we're having a, a slow but poignant uh, uh, demographic change as people are you know just different communities are moving in and setting up shop and starting businesses and uh setting down roots uh it's it's returning into a bit more of a uh a landmark in the in the country 
when it, it's definitely not monolithic anymore, you know, in, in, even if it ever was. I mean, so you say you mentioned Brampton, obviously, uh, Markham has a majority Chinese uh, population, mm-hmm. I think. So the, there's huge variety across the region. And, and but actually people who live, you know, I don't think the average person who lives in Burlington doesn't know much about Brampton, doesn't know about mm, much about Markham, doesn't know much about um and that's another thing that we're, we're yeah. hoping to counter is that kind of because um, if, you, if you ask someone what do you think about Markham who lives in Burlington, they're probably going to go worse. Right. Kind of boring, isn't it? But yeah. they know nothing about it. You know, like no one's ever seen a Markham newspaper, or no one knows <laughs> the Markham art, art scene. Or, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's definitely you know, in the the region is projected to grow by something like a million and a half, two million people over the next. 15 20 years so it's it's you know there's going to be transformation happening um which uh, um is certainly uh well it's going to be yeah, interesting you know and like you have like <laughs> um some really interesting people getting elected like sarah singh is super cool and matthew green and um selena whose last time i could never say properly because rosie barton once called her selena caesar chavez and that's what i think of every time i say her name now but like she's incredible um yeah anyway like and so i think that like that's also something that we look at and we are really interested in like even if it's just the candidates who don't get elected but they're still running like you still get a sense of like some some really cool things and so um yeah like i was thrilled when sarah Singh won and not just because she was a new democrat um you know and i'm a big fan of selena as well like we're even facebook friends which is very exciting um so i really really like it's really I guess like shining a light on those like community leaders and movers and shakers is also something that yeah that I guess should be happening more I was just gonna say um we saw a few years ago that the the um I guess it was what was it 2014 election that um that sort of the last election before before Mr. Ford uh arrived that there was a there was a almost like a direct connection between go train lines and mm, progressive right. MPPs being elected, and, and I mean partly that's commuters coming out of Toronto, you know, and the, and the, the changing kind of the changing face of the population, and certainly you know Burlington was. I don't know how many times people have told me that you could you could nominate a blue uh, <laughs> right. fire hydrant and they'd yeah. elect it, you know, but but it's not the case anymore. We have a Liberal MP, um, we've had a Liberal MPP, um, it, it, and although there's we have a Conservative MPP at the moment, no one can pretend that yeah. it's a safe seat anymore, which is good for democracy. Uh, so it, it's. Yeah, and I really think your your website is is valuable, you know, not just for Torontonians, but for 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 people who live in the nine hundred five, because we often don't know much. Yeah, about it's true. Our own like maybe um, it will be called something else it, in a year. Like I have no idea. Like it was very much like hmm. a product of like you know Haritha and I taking some road trips and being like, this place is cool. Could we live here? And then like looking up and being like, oh, it's actually ninety five percent white, and hmm, maybe we don't want to. And um, you know, so let like let's get as much information as possible. So we for sure like. To me, it's less of like Toronto being the center of the universe, which believe me, like I've lived other places, like I totally get that mindset. It's just like I was like, I'm just like my present geographic center and I was looking in 90 minutes as my own radius and then I just decided to kind of make it all public. But, you know, I would love to if the site like maybe didn't even have geographic boundaries and people like it functioned like a wiki and people could like put up their own experiences and things like that. Because even in the month that I've had it up, like people have inboxed me to be like, okay, like this messed up thing happened in my town or like this amazing bookstore just opened up. And, you know, like 
presently, like I just make all those edits, but it's obviously not like a sustainable system. And so, um, you know, and I've also had people reach out, like, would you do one for Vancouver? Would you do one for Ottawa? Would you do one for Montreal? And so, and I agree with you. Like, I wish everybody knew more about what was nearby. And I've had people tell me that they've actually just started using the site as like a travel guide, you know, and that's really cool too. So well, it's definitely yeah, help- it could be that the, the focus will shift. It's definitely helpful to kind of, because you, again, you, you look at criteria other than just, oh, what's uh, housing affordability? Uh, which is mm-hmm. the primary, I think, the primary criteria of looking at where to move uh, in the, into the net 905. I, I like that you have the different, uh, you know, different demographic makeups and different social networks that are happening in the uh, in the region, because it's a it's an important part of how our communities are developing and how they are changing. And I, I just thought it was a very fascinating uh, piece of work. Well, thank you so much. I was going to make it make an offer that um, if you do want to come out to see Burlington firsthand, uh, let us know. We'll try and we, we'll, we at least give you a guided tour because we'll try and up our, our, our score. Our, we'll try and bias our, <laughs> our results a bit. Same. I, mean, we should, uh, I can't let myself not mention, just because you, you, you focused on this as an issue, the Burlington's Black Lives Matter march had something between eight and 10,000 people. That's incredible. Which well, is, uh, we, yeah, it was incredible. We actually, we actually did an episode on it, um, which is our third episode with the organizers of the march. Um, cool. for, for For Burlington, it was huge because Roland and I have been involved in politics at the local level for, I'm going to say about 10 years now, and we've never seen anything like it. And the fact that they had about, yeah, about 10,000 people marching uh, for Black Lives Matter, I, it it sends a message that there's definitely a demographic change happening in the region um, and a possibly even a generational one. Anyway, well, uh, th- thanks so much for joining us uh, to, uh, to talk about this. It really is a fascinating project. And like Joel said, if you if you do make that trip to Burlington, please contact <laughs> definitely, us. Definitely, yeah. We'll and give I'll... you a, a tour. We'll give you a guided <laughs> walking tour. Six, <laughs> six feet apart, of course. Thanks so much again. Thanks so much. Take thanks. care. Take care. Well, I'd like to thank uh, Audra and Haritha for coming on this week. I thought the discussion was very, very informative and probably could have gone on for another hour or two just on uh, on demographics alone. What did you think, Roland? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's really interesting. And, and I was particularly interested to see the the... The criteria that mm-hmm. they that they've used as as what matters to them in uh, in potential homes that they might be looking for or that other people in Toronto might be looking for, and it's not like you said in the introduction. It's it's not just a, a matter of house prices. Um, it's it's so much more than that. Absolutely. I mean, it. I think it actually goes to the heart of kind of what people are looking for. Um, in terms of what makes up a community, which is, like you said, more than just a house price or uh, what your mortgage is going to look like, which in all, in all honesty can honestly be a factor in turning people away from living here. If the people, I mean, our housing prices have gone up so drastically in the last 10 years uh, that I think it can definitely be a factor in turning people away from wanting to move here. Well, for sure. I mean, we, we were kind of jokingly encouraging them coming to, well, we very much want them to come to Burlington, but we were kind of joking about it as, as a, one of the destinations they might choose, probably outside their price range uh, by the sound of it. Um, you know, we're already in that um, area that, well, you know, Burlington's probably not a city I could afford to live in if I bought a house now, you know. No, um, no. Uh, so that that's a, a worrying development. I mean, in, in terms of the 
very uh, progressive kind of criteria that, that they had in place. You know, things like uh, you know uh, support for Black Lives Matter, uh, LGBT issues, Pride. Um, that's interesting, I guess, because so because the growth coming to our regions will so often come from people who've started off in Toronto, mm-hmm. in the in the traditionally more progressive uh, uh, end of things, and are changing the traditional political face of, of the 905 as they move out. And I think I think we saw that not at the last provincial election, but in 2014, where um, I think I said in the interview, you know, anywhere with a ghost station went liberal or NDP. Um, and it's, it's kind of that, um, you know, it, I think this is good for the region, even if you're not a liberal or an NDP, in that that it's it's just bringing more variety and that that kind of monolithic, right, uh, Anglo-Saxon kind of uh, uh, look to the region is is becoming a thing of the past. Well, it's, I, I definitely agree, I th- and I think it's a good thing. Just adding more perspectives into the cultural and so- sociological mix of where we live. Uh, I can rem- remember when the, this used to be just a presumed conservative seat um, and conservative conservative voting area and that we've seen as more uh, people of different backgrounds different ethnicities different religions have started to settle down here and honestly I think really contributed to the makeup of the region like really really settled in and, and are becoming leaders and influencers in our communities uh, all for the better and just adding a different perspective, different voice, which is a good thing. I think overall it's a good thing for a democracy, uh, municipally, provincially, and federally, just to have that kind of a new perspective and new blood, if you will, uh, to kind of just, hey, what if we take a look at it from this angle and say, hey, you know what? That's a that, that's a good idea. I, let's see what happens if we try that idea. I, I think that's a really important point, and I think it's a point that our municipalities have not, fully got their heads around yet um uh something we're going to talk about in a few weeks time uh something that i have some uh <laughs> a game i have some skin in uh it was to do with looking at uh changes to advisory committees in in burlington advisory committees uh, I, i'm sure burlington is no exception tend towards the uh older in age and whiter in whiter and more wealthy in um uh, ethnic makeup. Uh, so those voices um, that now make up a significant part of every municipality in, in the 905 are, are often not invited into the process. Now, some would say, well, if you can't be bothered to get down to City Hall, and I've heard this expressed by people in positions of some influence, if you, you, don't, if you can't be bothered to come to, down to City Hall, why the hell should we listen to you? Um, I think that's a fairly appalling um, that, that's, view of the world. That is absolutely, that, you're right, it is appalling, mostly because I think the a good chunk of people who are coming out here and settling settling down, what we want to attract are younger families. Uh, regardless of what your background is, what religion you are, you want young families to come in, settle down, because those are the ones who will stay here for a while. They will contribute to the tax bit bracket, they will contribute to, sorry, the tax base, um, and a lot of them are coming in and they're setting up uh, businesses and not, I, I want to get away from the stereotypical immigrant, you know, setting up a, a restaurant. Like we're talking high end professional lawyers, doctors, um, uh, financial services, you know, the, the high end professions are, they're setting up here and they're servicing here. And I think 
you're right. There's a bit of an old school mentality of, oh, we're just a commuter sub, we're just a commuter hub to go into Toronto, um, and we we live here, but we work in Toronto all the time. And I think that's slowly changing. I, I do believe that there a lot of people want to work closer to Burlington, Hamilton, Milton, uh, Vaughan, Markham, Durham, Oshawa. They want to live closer to work closer to home, live closer to home, and have an impact closer to home. The problem is you're working long hours, you're working hard to provide for your family, uh, keep a roof over your head, especially in these times with the with the pandemic. Uh, but to, yeah, you're right, to go back to your point of saying, well, you need to come down to City Hall to make your voice heard is just an outdated uh, mentality that I think it harms us as a community that there are, we want those entrepreneurs, we want those young, vibrant, new ideas to sit at the table. And if you're going to make a erect barriers to get them down to City Hall, you're just, you're going to miss out on some great ideas. What you need to do is have City Hall go to them. And in the age of social media, uh, like we have, we're doing a podcast right now, but to do stuff like that, uh, Facebook, Twitter, um, Reddit, you know, also there are all sorts of forums that uh, our municipalities should be exploiting to reach out to people and say, listen, we, we need new ideas instead of just having the same five or 10 people standing up at the microphone because, well, that's what, just what we've always done. It, it's just, it, it's a poor uh, example of democracy. And we, I think, especially in our municipalities, they're a perfect example to kind of reinvigorate our democracy with new technology, new ideas, and new formats uh, that can help bring in new ideas. And especially when we need, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of transformative change because of the pandemic uh, in the few years to come. Yeah, I think the pandemic may, may, and I hope it does really put, um, some uh, kind of light a fire under the change that needs to happen in how we uh, view where we live and where we work. Uh, and that this kind of idea of, well, it's completely normal and fine to drive two or three hours a day to work um, is, is it's not healthy for anybody. I don't think there's anybody who really enjoys it. Uh, you just do it because of house prices or you do it because your boss wants you to be in the office or, right. and, and the excuse is less and less, uh, allowable and it would allow people you know if you look at who does get involved in municipal affairs it's often people like myself self-employed people who are retired people who have time people who don't have children people who are, and you know not having children is the biggest one of all people who are confident enough in the english language to feel that if they go and delegate at city hall they're not going to make a fool of themselves um so you know, that's these are huge barriers to people who are less wealthy um, perhaps newer to the country um, uh, or have just a busy life with children and, you know, sit on a train twice a day or whatever, you know. You're but just should, not going to get involved if those, if those in the current way that we do things. But it should also be pointed out that uh, those people that you just described, Roland, do not contribute any less to uh, the fabric of our democracy. They're, absolutely, and, yeah. And absolutely. it's... I, I know as a as a father of two young children, like, yeah, you're you're... It is my top priority. It's my number one priority, and that's where I put my focus on. And yeah, so I might miss a city council meeting, but if there was a forum that I could input my thoughts and input my 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 thoughts on a on a particular topic that I was passionate about, uh, I'd love to take that up, and and just to know that my thoughts are being heard, and it's not just get sitting in somebody's inbox uh, in city hall in a city hall cubicle somewhere. 
And it speaks to that thing that we hear so often about voter apathy, which is usually counted on one metric, which is like how many people turn out to vote once every four years. Well, I don't meet anybody in my life who's apathetic about politics or anything, really. Uh, they care. They just don't, you know, I have people I know who I know are not voters. They don't vote. And I really wish they did, and I think they should, and all those things. But they're not apathetic. They, they moan <laughs> continuously about all the things that are being done that are wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, go and vote. That's your first option. That's the simplest thing to do. Uh, however, it's really a failing of our institutions to not find ways to get those people involved in contributing. Um, and I think there's less and less excuse for, for that. So don't talk about people being apathetic when often they're, they're not remotely apathetic and they're just really bloody busy. Okay, so well, I guess the, the other thing we could take a quick look at is just other things in, in the news. Uh, this week, um, I know uh, there's been some developments on the on the school front. Obviously, children are, are literally almost going back in the next couple of days, depending which depending where you are and which school you're in. Um, and uh, well, w- what are your thoughts about the current state of affairs? I mean, if you have you made a decision yet with regard to your own children? I mean, uh, we have. Uh, my wife and I had had a long, long chat. We were, we were waiting to the eleventh hour, mostly because we wanted to get every ounce of information we possibly could uh, at the, b- before the deadline. Um, we are sending our our daughter uh, back to her school. Uh, the reason why, and I'm sure it's similar to what our some of the families of our listeners are, are listening, sorry, are uh, some of the decisions that the parents who are listening might mirror is we thought the social aspect was too important. Um, she's been out of school now since March, uh, learning at home and just socializing at home. And she's, I think she just needs that social aspect. Uh, we know from talking with other parents, they're in the same situation but the concern is how safe are they going to be uh it didn't help that in recent news uh once the boards came out with how many numbers were going to be in the distance learning program and how many were going to be returning to school in some cases there was 20 percent distance learning like that you know those are sizable numbers one fifth of the population not returning the hope was okay maybe we'll be able to make this work if one fifth of our students are not returning to schools you know, it, we might we might be able to get those reduced numbers in the classrooms to a safe and tolerable number, only to find out that due to the funding arrangements between the provincial government and the various boards in the province, boards are now collapsing schools, that, uh, sorry, class sizes uh, into one another. So rather than maybe having a 20-student classroom, we're now getting upwards of 30, 25 to 30 range, which is... Um, a sad fact to see that you know we just we can't seem to get our imagination around making this work. Uh, I think the last, the, yeah, the la- the last thing probably most parents would expect, um, but is absolutely happening, uh, is that reduced class sizes don't result in more spaces <laughs> for you know smaller class sizes and more space between children. No, we're just, we just we that just means we have to collapse the classes down. So we'll end up with classes which are just a big, potentially bigger than they were before. Um, all because the government won't invest the necessary money to get more teachers in there or, or whatever. I mean, it, it. 
I think it's a mistake. And then yesterday we had uh, the minister, Stephen Lecce, saying after some really quite scary numbers coming out of Quebec with, re- uh, uh, with regard to infection levels at something was it 35 schools or something like that, that, oh, well, we're, we're not Quebec, we're wearing masks. Right, well, right. sure. Maybe, you know, I'm not saying masks don't count, but there's no one wearing masks in, in the in the younger age groups anyway. Well, no, um, no, uh, in the Halton, in the Halton board, and there was, well as the Catholic boards, they have passed a resolution saying that all students will be wearing face masks while in uh, in school. So that's a, that's a good thing, uh, in my opinion. But I mean, on, on that note, Roland, there was reports recently of a um, teacher in Brampton, in the Peel board, who uh, contracted... Uh, COVID-19 while prepping for their class to open, um, which is not a good omen for the start of the school year. Um, I think we're, we we have, I think we do have a long way to go. And we're, it's a, my sense is that a lot of this is going to be made up as we go. We're, as, once the doors open, we're going to see how this goes and adjust accordingly, uh, is my, the sense that I'm getting from the boards, the teachers, and I'm hoping the government will do the same thing. But right now I can't be certain. Yeah, it's, it's felt all along like the government has been trying to look like it's leading while not leading. Um, uh, and the school boards and the teachers having to kind of uh, wing it <laughs> to, to, to a significant extent. Um, and hopefully it all works out well. I mean, and, and I think, you know, it... it it's not fair that parents have been put in that position of, of making really difficult decisions. I mean, I, I think whichever decision any parent makes is, is absolutely to be respected and, and there's no wrong answer as far as a parent is concerned in, in some ways. Um, but um, this is not how it should have been done. No, I saw. I was watching on my, my social media feeds uh, a clip from the CTV show, The Social, and the, the ladies that were on there were talking about the opening of the, of the school year. And I stopped to listen. And near the very end, there was a very enlightening response by, I, I, I wish I could remember who, and I apologize. If they happen to be listening, I'm very sorry. I don't remember who said this. But there's just that there will be a reckoning at the end of this. Uh, and that's what I think every parent is aware of. Depending on how this goes, a reckoning will be happening in come voting season. Uh, this is going to this is going to be in the forefront of every parent's mind is what could have done, been done better and why wasn't it done better? I can say as a parent the 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 nervousness that we are feeling is unbelievable. We're this isn't this is not the start of a regular school year. I wish to God it was, but it is not. There's nervous. There's nerves. There's fear amongst whether you're in the Catholic or the public board or the French or the French Catholic board, there's fear am- amongst every parent. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody has the confidence that this is going to work out well. We are hoping it will. We're praying that it will, but we just don't know. And I think... And, and I, I think it... it th- yeah, I mean, and I think that's a, a horrible situation to be in. And I know it's absolutely shared with with with... I would say the vast majority of teachers that they are yeah. I, I, doing what they're told and they're very unhappy about it. And, and there's going to be stress. There's going to be people who are off work because they are uh, literally feeling 
in a terrible situation. They're being in the midst of this. We've got new curriculum. It's like a new math curriculum. Uh, teachers being asked to take on entirely new classes because of the major disruption that's happening with some with students going to uh, uh, the uh, the uh, the online option. Um, and you know, it, it's a it's an awful lot to ask, even if this was being done a lot more efficiently than it is. I'm I'm just going to leave off with one word of advice to anyone, any parent who might be listening is that we're, you know, as, as we go into this, we're, we're all in this together. You're, I'm going to say trust in your school, trust in the administration, trust in your teachers, trust in your fellow parents, help each other out as best you can, uh, because that's the only way we're going to get through this is if we all have each other's back and we support where we can, don't worry about blaming each other for perceived missteps help each other out we're going to trip and fall over each other as this school year opens up and we just need to be there for everyone help each other out as best we can because that's the i i believe that's the only way we're going to get through this is by helping each other as best we can Uh, the time for accountability will will come it will it will be down the road there will be a reckoning uh at election season hopefully this works out if it does not remember what remember what you had to go through and We'll hold our our leaders, our boards, and and our provincial members of parliament to account. Nicely put. So, I mean, there's a couple of other things we will just quickly mention. I think in in the weeks ahead, we're going to be dealing with some, uh, well, more to do with with, uh, uh, issues of um, uh, voting reform and citizen engagement, which which those things are coming up, coming up in Burlington, but issues that are, are important right across the 905. In terms of news this week, I just want to mention very quickly a story that's, I think it's on the front page of the spec at the moment, which was a councillor in Hamilton um, being accused of, of bullying a retailer and then being caught on on uh, on the, being recorded by a CHCH journalist um, being, using some colourful language to tell a journalist not to publish a story. Or else, or this will not end well. I think was the words he used. Now, I'm not to get into the details of it. I'm not even going to get into the details of which councillor it was. I'm mentioning it more because this is a pattern in Hamilton at the moment. Um, that that is not a happy place <laughs> on <laughs> Hamilton Council, uh, and yep. there are some people there. Um, councillor, oh, I need to look his name up. Give me a few seconds while I look this up, Joel. But um, um, the councillor in question. Um, is retiring before 2022, so to an extent, this is a problem that will solve itself. Um, but yeah, but they should, people of Hamilton should have to deal with this until 2022. Uh, you know, like there's it, forget who who it is. It just if you want to run for public office, do so for the right reasons. I, I like go in with an agenda. You want you want to invoke change. You want to make the your city. You're writing whatever a better place. Go in with an agenda. Don't go in because you think that you're God's gift to Hamilton or God's gift to Burlington or whomever. Go in with an agenda. Make a plan. I want to do X, Y, and Z. Do it or don't do it. Then get out. Don't. You know, yeah. Too yeah. too often people just go in for the wrong. Going for the self delusion that they they are so important that Hamilton somehow or Burlington or. Oakville or whomever, somehow they cannot get along without them sitting at the table. And it's just hogwash. It's, uh, and it's that phrase, 
phrase that politicians often use but don't, don't actually often mean, which is we're public servants. That means you're not the boss, we're the boss, you work for us. The respect for, should flow from the elected person to the voter and the taxpayer and the well, taxpayer is a stupid phrase because we all pay tax. Um, you know, we're citizens. all paying HST and nothing else. Yeah, um, that that arrogance that we've seen it at, at council in, in Hamilton. We used to see it. We see it a lot less often now in Burlington, but we certainly are seeing it currently in Hamilton of people who who dare to challenge the uh, prevalent view on council being being treated with 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 contempt. It's not acceptable. This is not how politics should work in this day and age. If you have a councillor who's habitually rude or arrogant, vote them the hell out. Absolutely. End of story. I think that will take us uh, far enough this week. Um, um, after our, 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 our weekly rant about people being horrible. Uh, <laughs> um but, uh, and we'll be certainly exploring some of these issues in a lot more detail in, in weeks to come. But, uh, but yeah, respect the voters. I don't know. It begins the next, ends with that. Um, know your place if you're elected. Thanks, everybody, for listening this week. And we'll be back here again next week with another episode of the 905er. And I'll let you take it out, Joel, with the usual social media stuff. No problem. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Look for us at 905er. Uh, as well, if you have any comments, suggestions, tips for future shows, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at info at 905er.ca. Thank you very much, folks, and we'll see you next week. listeners i'm christy and i'm melissa and this is buried motives where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers she said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back and that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag yeah that's not even strong enough words this is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works if you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. <laughs>